Hello, and thank you for being a listener. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know about a special offer being given to the new warehouse listener. That's you. Mobile Robot Guide is offering 10% off just for you when you purchase the Warehouse Solutions Buyer's Guide. Just use promo code WarehousePod10 at MobileRobotGuide.com. That's WarehousePod10. This is your comprehensive guide for all things autonomous mobile robots. That's Warehouse Pod 10. And for more info, go to thenewwarehouse.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawton with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. Today I'm going to be joined by a previous guest, Dave Baiocchi. He is the president at Resonant Dealer Services. You may remember the last time we spoke to Dave was on episode 84. Uh, we were discussing business in a post-COVID world, and we are not there yet. We are not post-COVID yet. Uh, hopefully soon um, in the new year, I would hope for. Um, but today we're going to actually talk about one potential change or a change that's already taking place um, due to COVID, I believe, um, in the world of material handling dealers. And we're going to dive a little more into the December 2020 cover story written by Dave um, titled Factory Stores Coming to the U.S. And you can find more on that story at mhwmag.com. Um, but now we're going to talk to Dave and hear a little bit about what he has to say on the topic. So, Dave, welcome to the show. How, how have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Yes, yes. Good to be talking to you again. Um, very, I guess, interesting. You know, the last time we spoke, we talked about, you know, business in a post-COVID world, as I just mentioned a minute ago. Um, you know, we're not we're not really there yet, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got a ways to go. Definitely, definitely. So, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, I guess as a, a refresher, you, you work kind of with dealers um, on the material handling side and, you know, help them to kind of get their business um, either back on track or more, uh, add more services. And that's one thing that we talked about in the previous episode. But, you know, mm-hmm. for this, this month's um, article, you, you wrote about you know, factory stores. So I, I'm curious, this is something I will be honest and say I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with personally. Um, so, so I'm curious, let, let's get into, I guess, some of the basics first, and then we'll talk about how, how the environment's changing a little bit. So, you know, what what's the difference when we talk about a, a factory store versus an independent dealer? Yeah, well, you know, for the past 40 years or so, the, the, the model that the material handling, you know, equipment uh, industry in general followed was that they had strong OEMs who built quality products and they routed those to independent dealers who represented those products and sold those products to the marketplace. And uh, for, you know, for about, you know, 40 or 50 years, that's the way it's been. And we really haven't had the OEMs playing in the distributor space They've stayed in the manufacturing space, mm-hmm. and each one did their part to get equipment out to the marketplace. 
And, uh, and now we, we see a change coming and, and some of this is from COVID, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is just the natural evolution uh, of our industry. And, uh, and for uh, reasons that I lay out in the article, mm-hmm. uh, you've got OEMs that are uh, more and more motivated to get involved in the, uh, the distributor space and, uh, and take things from the factory direct to uh, the end user. And uh, I think, you know, when you ask what's the difference, you know, between independent dealers and factory stores uh, uh, in the early going here, the most obvious answer is that, you know, the OEM does has a lack of experience in meeting all of the end users needs. Right. Uh, the OEM business model is constructed around funneling two tangible items to the dealer, and that's new forklift trucks and replacement parts. Right. But they don't, they don't have rental fleets, and they don't deal with used equipment, and they don't market service. Uh, I think it's completely reasonable to assume that they have the background and ability to establish brand value and compete for equipment sales in the marketplace. But I think the deficiencies tend to appear in, in the rental and service, profit, uh, rental and service uh, profit centers, uh, mm-hmm. where the OEM really has little prior experience and lacks the retail background. Uh, to manage and balance in their internal policies with customer expectations. They don't understand what the customer really wants out of the service department, and they struggle with that. And also processes like uh, forecasting, management reporting, accounting, expense allocations, you know, those are all based on the only model they have, which is a manufacturing business model. And because of the complexities there, that frustrates the retail operation. Because uh, right. distributors tend to have to be a little more nimble and a little more customer-centric and a little more flexible and a little more innovative in order to gain an advantage and get the order. So um, there are some guys that mm-hmm. that are doing it well. Um, you know, the level of success that an OAM will have uh, depends on multiple factors. you got guys like uh, Lindy and, and Young Heinrich who started long ago in the European marketplace as direct sales entities. That's how they started their business. So they have a different model altogether. And they tend to struggle less with understanding the complexities of of dealer operations. And then you have some guys from North American OEMs like, uh, like crown and Raymond, Mm -hmm. and they've heavily invested in factory store operations over the past two decades. And, and in my opinion, for those two OEM players, you know, their market focus includes a lot of integrated systems, 3PL, national accounts. And because of that, it almost made almost necessary for them to really participate in the retail point of sale in some way, shape or form. Um, so some guys are, are doing it well and other guys are struggling, especially where uh, they don't have any experience uh, um, dealing with that. Um, I, I think that the OEM guys, the OEMs that are focusing on the broader market, specifically ITA class one, four, and five, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to have a much harder time acclimating. And uh, these, you know, are all really manufacturers who never originally expected to have to address the retail market head on. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it is interesting. And uh, you mentioned Raymond in there. I'm familiar um, with Raymond from, mm-hmm. per, from personal experience. And, you know, we've also talked to them on the show as well. Um, and yeah. you know, you mentioned all the different services that they offer. So, so there's a little more, 
I guess, expansion and um, involvement with the customer there. So you mentioned there, you know, a lot of the OEMs as they're trying to move into this different type of model in a sense that they're not necessarily understanding the customer needs or, you know, they've never really been prepared to kind of meet those customer needs and from a service perspective. So uh, how do you Mm -hmm. think either that will affect the relationship the customer has, or I guess maybe the, the perception of the brand. Um, do you think that will impact that? Versus, well, and, and, you know, you talk about the perception of the brand, right. uh, that is what the, the OEM is trying to preserve, right? which is why, which is why in, in a lot of cases now, in some cases they, they decided to get into this business lock, stock and barrel, but a lot of these OEMs are tiptoeing into, the the distribution business because they have an installed base mm. and they want to preserve that installed base. So they go about trying to care for that installed base by themselves, but they're ill-equipped to do it in many cases. And they're going to have to figure out what, you know, what the end user really wants because they've been focused on what the dealer needs in order to get the equipment out. They've been focused on manufacturing only. And this is, a, you know, it's a brand new field that they're working in. And it's it's going to be rough going for them to to really meet customers' needs. Yeah, definitely. So, so I think you you know it's interesting seeing the shift, and you know I definitely agree that you know when you have you talk about I mean in any any industry you know you have these these manufacturing companies that now you know they weren't really customer facing previously and now mm-hmm. they're trying to get in it it changes things a little bit. So, but you mentioned that you know. In, it isn't necessarily COVID or the pandemic that's really pushing this model. You think it's it's the evolution over time. So, what what do you think is has happened in the industry? I mean, you've been you know in the industry for thirty seven years now. What what do you think you've seen over the last couple of years, or what different types of things has kind of driven this evolution to this? We'll be back after a quick break. What's the new warehouse without a warehouse? I'm excited to let you know that we have expanded our 3PL fulfillment services beyond our micro-fulfillment center. We can now handle all levels of e-commerce fulfillment needs as well as transportation, B2B distribution, FBA prep, and much more. Thanks to our partnership with Xperia Global, we can service you from the port to the customer's porch. Reach out to me directly at Kevin at the new warehouse.com for all your fulfillment and logistics needs. Uh, well, with or without the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, the distributors in our market are, are in a state of evolution, you know, with the notable exception of crown and Raymond that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Most of the OEMs are still depending on independent dealers for retail distribution they do tend to want and, and look to evolve to having, they used to have a lot of smaller dealers. Now they want fewer, larger dealers. And that has been uh, since the 1980s, they've been trying to, uh, to, you know, it's easier to write policy and to, and to draw programming uh, for a smaller group of dealers that are all headed the same direction. Mm-hmm. than when you have small guys in small territories and, and a regional, all the, uh, the regional complexities, uh, it's harder to do that. So that, that is one of the ways it's going. They, they wanted one, you know, dealers to buy each other, uh, okay. adjoining dealers to, uh, to sell to each other. 
and that's happened in in many cases. Um, but I think whether it's pandemic or whether it's evolution, you know, it's a, we we are in the middle of a market disruption, mm-hmm. and market disruptions serve as a stress test uh, for dealers. Um, when we have a disruption like this, if they're not sufficiently capitalized, mm-hmm. they're going to look to divest. Uh, the length and the severity of the disruption only accelerates, you know, and exacerbates that condition. Um, so if you have a long-standing privately held dealership that they don't have a, a solid succession plan in place and they're looking for an exit ramp, right? Because they have this market disruption. Yeah. Uh, they, they really only have five options. Uh, they can sell to an adjoining dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can sell to their employees through an ESOP or through a, you know, a privately leveraged, uh, situation. They can sell to private equity. Uh, they can sell to a competitor, uh, or they can sell to the OEM. You know, now who's, who's going to be open to make an offer? You know, that's a, not all five are going to be available, but one of those five is going to be the, you know, the ramp to get the existing ownership out and get somebody else in. Um, so as the market evolves this way from many small dealers to fewer larger dealers, mm-hmm. I think OEMs are rethinking their level of involvement in the retail space to, to protect their installed base. You know, if you have a large dealer mm-hmm. that sells to private equity, or their competitor, or even their employees, the OEM risks losing significant market share and part sales if that venture fails. Right. If you know anything about private equity firms, generally they're not interested in long-term investment or growth. Yeah. They want to wring the money out of the operation and sell it in three to five years. Yeah. What's the exit strategy? That 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 runs that runs antithetical to to all of the agenda of of the OEM. So in order to control their position in the marketplace, the OEM enters the arena, right? But it puts him in a tenuous position from the very beginning. Perhaps that dealer wasn't well capitalized enough to begin with. And now the OEM is entering a market that he wouldn't choose to be in if it weren't for the need to do a salvage operation Mm -hmm. just to preserve his market share. All right. So let's talk about how that kind of pans into the future, right? Yeah. Because well, what I'm seeing is once OEMs are in the distribution business, that one of two things happens, right? They either want to get out right away, mm-hmm. right? Find somebody else. How about they're a placeholder, right? They're, they're going to find somebody else to, to hand this to. Uh, or they'll continue to acquire dealerships and create and, and what they'll need to do. And the ones that are being successful with it are doing create separate retail management groups that have people that have significant dealership experience and expertise to operate them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the second option is what we're seeing by, you know, by and large in the marketplace. And you look at Toyota, right? Uh, yeah. Seven dealerships acquired since 2007. Uh, most notably, uh, Atlas companies, one of their largest dealers, they, they, they took a, an ownership uh, stake there and they continue to expand that in October uh, 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 you know, just last month, they acquired Toyota Lyft in Minnesota. So they they continue to reach out and do this, but Toyota tends to set it up with their with its own accounting, with its own marketing, with its you know, it really is a separate entity. Uh, it is not an adjunct of the manufacturing. 
um, which I think is where they're going to be most successful. And we, we also see it with, uh, with Mitsubishi Logisnacks, you know, your, your MCFA, Unicarriers, Caterpillar, Mitsubishi, uh, they continue to, to purchase dealerships. Uh, uh, there's been six dealerships acquired since 2006. Uh, in 2019, they purchased Pawn Material Handling, which runs Equipment Depot, which is right through the center of the country, multiple state, multiple, multiple branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Equipment Depot subsequently then acquired dealers in Boston and Milwaukee, which were previous Unicarriers dealers. So they are stepping forward and stepping into this and wanting, wanting to be successful with it instead of just being a placeholder uh, for or for somebody else. Right. Interesting. So, so it sounds like the market is kind of this, I guess, model is forcing some, some consolidation of markets, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and the consolidation was going to happen anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. look, it's already happening with the OEMs, right. you know, I mean, you've had, if you look that back over the past 20 years, you know, you've got, you've got Toyota and BT, uh, you know, you've got in Raymond, uh, you've got, uh, Unicarriers, uh, MCFA, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're together, Heister Yale, uh, you know, it, it's, they needed economy of scale. Right. And so they acquired each other in order to get that. Uh, now they're looking to retain market share, retail market share. Mm-hmm. And the only way for them to truly protect it is to actually control it Yeah, take control and of it. not, not be a uh, subject to the whim of a independent dealer that decides he's going to sell the private equity. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear this side of it as usually I'm a, I guess a, a customer, right. Instead of on the dealer side. So, so is mm-hmm. the, I'm curious now, you know, we talk a little bit about the dealers and, you know, the different models versus each and what, and what's, what is shifting to as we look at the current atmosphere and, you know, also kind of, I guess talking about, you know, our previous discussion about the post COVID world and obviously COVID still, it's still here. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, yeah. what, um, what are dealers, I guess, kind of seeing right now? I know, I think we had talked previously about, you know, what does business look like and how do they kind of um, expand their offerings? Like what, what are they seeing now a couple of months later as we're catching up, you know, what, what are they seeing in terms of sales and services? Is it, is there an increased demand because you know we're seeing increase in mm-hmm. demand on the supply chain itself? So our dealers. It depends kind of on the products that, that they're selling. Yeah. It depends on uh, on uh, on the region that they're in. It mm-hmm. depends on uh, you know what market segment that they're uh, they're appealing to. Uh, certainly, warehousing and three PL direct. Right. Um, you know, direct buying over the internet, that has become the wave of the future. That's the thing. If you're involved in that sector of the business, you have the right products and the right offerings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be doing really well. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're, uh, if you, it, even and even manufacturing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing has moved all their finished goods to 3PL. Right. And, uh, and so you're still going to be busy. But there are sectors in the marketplace uh, that are really down. And will continue to be down, and uh, the equipment's just not going to get used, uh, which puts pressure on you know the the parts and service end of your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can only uh, you, you can only repair stuff that uh, that somebody says is broken. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, 
it's you can't you can't magically make that appear people mm-hmm. actually utilize the equipment in, in order for your services to be needed so uh that that continues to be a worry uh mm-hmm. but the stress test isn't over you yeah. know it's uh, it, you know it continues and and if you're not well capitalized uh you you may be in in the crosshairs of having to make a decision that you don't necessarily want to make or weren't prepared to make mm. Definitely. So, so it's interesting, yeah, to hear from that side. I was curious, you know, where does where do these things stand? Um, so, so I'm um, now on the other side of things. You know, we talked about you know the impact, I guess, on the dealers, and then we talked about the impact on the manufacturer itself, moving these models around. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of the listeners are are customers as well of the dealer. So, yeah, yeah. So how how yeah. is the shift to a factory store? How will that have an impact? Uh, maybe in the short term, and also like in the long term in the future how, how would right, that impact the right. customer and themselves i and i gotta be you know full disclosure i mean i i, I come from from a dealer environment i, I right. was a dealer principal for the best part of a couple of decades mm-hmm. and so uh, i'm <laughs> i still believe that you know right now as far as what's going to who's going to serve the customer best mm-hmm. the independent dealer is better suited and more capable still uh, and they're uh, to meet the needs of the user because this is his mandate. You know, dis- yeah. distribution is the dealer's only business. He's been focused on it for a long time. It allows him to be intuitive. It allows him to be flexible. Um, not that these guys that are the OEMs uh, won't organize themselves mm-hmm. uh, and respond to some of the early failures that they've had in 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 dealing with customer demands. Because over time, with the right leadership and autonomy. Uh, the OEMs entering that distribution space may be able to replicate that same customer experience. And, and like I, I said earlier, some are doing a fine job now. Time will tell. But this is a, an unavoidable market reality. And I, will customers suffer? Uh, I think that they're, they were used to a certain service. Right. And, and, and their needs are growing. You know, mm-hmm. the one thing that I always say to, to about the evolution of our industry when I'm talking to brand new people in our in our business, I do an onboarding session mm-hmm. where I talk to them about the industry and what the direction the industry is taking. You know, customers used to just buy equipment. Now they don't want to do. They don't want to do that anymore. They just want to buy equipment. This is not a. This is not a simple sale. Uh, they want us to leverage data. They want us to tell them how the equipment, how the solution we're going to prepare for them is going to pay for itself. Right. Right. That is really what customers want. Are OEMs ready to enter that conversation uh, on their own with with the market background that they have? The answer is no, unless they've been doing it for a while, okay. or unless they've already got an integrated solution yes. that you know that like these guys at at the uh, you know that focus on class two and three mm-hmm. have had for a while. But but by and large, the rest of us that are class one, four, and five uh, focusers, mm-hmm. well, they're going to struggle. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear, you know, how the market is kind of shifting, and then ultimately, you know, the I guess the ones that kind of will drive the market is, is the customer a little bit, right? So, you know, it's yeah. interesting to see yeah. how how that'll have an impact. And and you know, I touched on it before saying like, you know, what I wonder what the the brand perception will be. So so it'll be interesting, you know, even though the OEM in a sense, like you mentioned, is trying to preserve the brand in a way. 
Um, mm-hmm. If there's some shortfalls, like you're mentioning, you know, about, you know, not necessarily providing the same service level that an independent dealer will have, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. if, that, if that'll kind of have a little impact on the, the perception in, in, in a negative way. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, so it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see how, how this stuff changes. And, um, you know, this, this is kind of a, a new, new thing for me to talk about. So, so int- I'm really interested to talk to you about it. And, um, you know, it's been, yeah. it's been a good, uh, good learning for me as well about how, how the different models work. And I think a lot of the listeners too, um, would be interested to hear this too. So, so thank you for, uh, you know, talking to us again on the show, obviously for the new, material handling wholesaler. So how can people, um, get in touch with you again with, uh, resident dealer services? Yeah, they can, they can go to my website, which is resonant dealer.com R E S O N A N T resonant dealer.com. Uh, or they can call me directly at two zero nine six five two seventy five eleven. And whether you're a customer or whether you're a dealer or whether you're a manufacturer, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to share some notes with you and and, uh, and, and let you know uh, what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. Awesome. And we'll put all the information at thenewwarehouse.com as well. And definitely a, a reminder, too, that you can read the article for December 2020 at mhwmag.com. So, Dave, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Latte. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for the New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.